across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, as always, is Arif Dean. We're here to wrap up and kind of talk about that first game of the round robin for the avalanche, a 2-1 win over St. Louis. And obviously, the the main talking point going into this game is Kadri, Kadri, Kadri. Right, Arif? I mean, it's just a picture perfect. Oh, Dallas just scored against Vegas, 1-1. Uh, back to my point. So it, it's just a picture perfect moment. We talked last week about how Nazem Kadri is probably going to be the X factor on this team. Someone who has a lot to prove after what happened to him in Toronto the last two years. And the same time that Toronto is getting shut out by the Columbus Blue Jackets, Nazem Kadri scores a historic buzzer beater of a of a game-winning goal at 1959.9 seconds of the third period to win the game for the Avalanche as the entire hockey world, aka Toronto, is watching and seeing their team, you know, barely able to get any chances. It was just a picture-perfect moment for Kadri and just the start of things to come for why we said he's going to be an X-Factor. We'd been pumping his tires and kind of talking about him for the last three podcasts, I believe, just talking about how his role is going to kind of, you know, really play a, a big factor, like you're mentioning. And how did we mention he was going to do that? By attacking the net and bringing the intensity that he just is kind of expected from him. And that's exactly what we saw in that final goal. Attacking the net, putting his head down and just crashing and going hard. I mean, he, he beat a defender. The defender tried to put his stick on him last second, but it was far too late. And that was just exactly what we need from Kadri, exactly what we expect, and exactly what he brings to the table. So the cool thing is, like, a lot of people may not like this about players, but I absolutely love the uh, the energy he brings. By the way, we've been recording for two minutes, and Dallas has scored two goals to take a 2-1 lead on Vegas. Uh, yeah, we're doing this live during that game, just in case you're wondering what time it is. Uh, but the cool thing about Kadri, he brings so much energy to the point where... When he scores, you see the way he reacts to goals, and we'll talk more about that later on, about how excited and energetic he gets. But even when he misses good chances, he doesn't do that thing where he puts his head down and falls out of the play. But with 41 seconds left in the third period, Kadri had that point shot in the slot where McKinnon fed him. He one-timed it. He missed what he what looked like to him a wide-open opportunity. He missed the net wide, and he kind of like quickly shuttered his arms and his head up like, are you kidding me, and kept going, stayed in the play, and then with 0.1 seconds left, he scores. And I absolutely love that about him because he's so into the game and so invested all the time. The second thing is to mention about that play, obviously he battled that defenseman down low to get to the puck but he put a lot of power on that shot at the end 
right in front of the net, inches away from the goal line, and he still whacked the crap out of that puck. And the reason why that's relevant is because if he just went for a tap-in, he doesn't beat the clock. He he would have missed it by point zero zero five. Instead, he got that point one on the clock with the puck passing the line. So it's just, it's great time management. It's the IQ of knowing I don't have much time. I need to you know, beat the heck out of this puck and get it in there. And his emotion, everything about what he did in that game is exactly the reason why we've been pumping his tires for the last three weeks. Right. All things we've already been over, but he adds a little bit to the table of everything. He's got that knowledge. He's got the skill and he's got the, the passion and the heart. And that's really what you see there. I mean, just seeing how happy he is to score that goal. And, and like you said, just the passion in his game, it just makes him invaluable to this team. And it's uh, really awesome that he's going to be sticking around for the next few years. He really is a valuable, valuable asset and just making Joe Sackick look good, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is just the start of what's to come, and I'm excited to see what happens when the Avalanche ramp it up in the actual playoffs, uh, even though to them right now they are playing playoff hockey, and I think that might be the reason why they were able to squeak out that win and what differentiates them from the other round-robin teams is the fact that they are treating this round-robin like a playoff um, but things are going to get more intense whether they like it or not once the actual first round begins next Tuesday because the team coming out of the qualifier round is going to have already gotten their feet wet the avalanche would have already gotten their feet wet hopefully by then as the number one seed so this is just the beginning of what's to come and I'm excited to see it yeah I've watched a lot of the games so far I would say probably 90 percent of them and I would in that game that the St. Louis versus the Avalanche, I would say that that was probably the most playoff-like game I've watched. The two teams that seemed the most playoff-ready. And you go back to that first period. I mean, the Avalanche were buzzing from the get-go. They were killing them in shots. They were attacking the net and, and getting good chances. They just couldn't solve the riddle of Jordan Bennington. Bennington really was amazing yesterday. He absolutely was, and he was he was the reason why St. Louis stayed in the game early. And then alternatively, Philip Grubauer was the reason why the Avalanche stayed in the game late. Because you knew that this was the type of game that if any team was able to open up a two-goal lead, as much as we say that it's the worst lead in hockey, it just felt like it was impossible to come back from a lead like that. So Bennington kept the Blues in the game. They were outshot 16-4 in the first 20 minutes, but it took one power play and a phenomenal shot from David Perron above to, to, to get it above Grubauer's shoulder and into the back of the net. And on the other side, in the third period and in the late in the second period, when the Blues started to press, it was Grubauer who was making the big saves to keep it one nothing, and ultimately set the Avalanche up for two goals and that comeback victory in regulation of you know of all things. I think just the history between these two teams and just how they're both fighting for that top spot in the West all year created a little bit of extra animosity between the two. I really liked the physicality, but that came out of both teams. I mean. I wasn't sure what to expect with that round, with the whole round robin hockey idea, but I, I really am pleased with the type of hockey. It wasn't as sloppy as we saw in the exhibition. I don't think mm-hmm. the penalties were as dumb as we saw in the exhibition, except for maybe the Landeskog penalty. We'll get in that in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the intensity was there, and I haven't seen that same intensity from around the league. Yeah, so the first game of the round robin stages from both conferences was the Boston and Philadelphia game. Uh, for starters, Boston got completely worked. They didn't have their legs, and Bruce Cassidy went on a freaking type of rant after the game from how upset he was at his team for not showing up. And it looked like nothing more than a glorified preseason game. 
So I was kind of worried that it was going to look like that once the Avalanche came out. And it kind of did in the beginning in terms of physicality, but it started to ramp up. And by the end of the game, make no mistake about it, this was a straight playoff type of atmosphere of a game, even though it was the round robin. And then today, Monday, earlier in the afternoon, we saw the same thing from Tampa Bay and Washington. These teams want the top seed. They want to fight for it. And, you know, we heard a lot about how the top seeds in each conference didn't want to come out of a bye week and play a team in a qualifier because it would have given them the short end of the stick having played no meaningful hockey. So this is their chance to play meaningful hockey. And these teams want to take advantage of it. They want to be ready for when they play a team like a Minnesota or a Nashville in the first round. And the Avalanche showed it and the Blues showed it too. I almost feel like the teams playing the round robin are going to have an adv- an advantage going into round one because they're playing such a mix and diverse set of teams in those first three games that they're not, you know, growing yeah. accustomed to habits and getting used to a team. They're playing you know, a couple different strategies here and there. So I think that's going to give a lot of the round robin teams a leg up. That's a very good point. And I think it, there, there's also a lot to be said about your tune-up games, if that's what you want to call it for the round robin, coming against the three best teams in the conference. Uh, if you're the Avalanche, you know, Edmonton is a great team, albeit they got destroyed by Chicago in the first game and today's game two. So who knows how that's going to go. And Minnesota and Nashville could probably play some boring hockey and get, you know, beat the offense out of you. But you just play the St. Louis Blues. You just played the best team in the conference. You're going to play Dallas and you're going to play Vegas. One team that you've had good you know, uh, that you've done great against this year and one team that you've had a lot of struggles with this year. That's the best way to get prepared, in my opinion, is by playing those best teams. And in a one-game series, if that's what you want to call it, the Avalanche and the Blues put it all on the line yesterday, knowing that, hey, if we meet again, it's going to be in the second or third round of the playoffs. So we're going to fight basically till death in this game. So I never actually thought of that, but that's a great point that you bring up. Hey, thanks. I like when I make good points. Um, Getting back to the game against St. Louis a little bit, like I said, penalties were still a little bit of an issue considering they gave up a a shorthanded goal there uh, late in the first. But it was really not that bad of penalties. You know, you didn't see too many dumb ones. They were hard-working penalties except for the Landeskog penalty. I wanted to get a little bit into that. His second penalty, not the one they scored the power play goal on St. Louis, but Rather, the one to start the second period, he's going into the corner, sees the numbers, and lays into him anyway. That's kind of the stuff I was talking about on Friday that they didn't have to do, right? All in one. I said they need to focus on not getting penalties, and they need to focus on not letting emotions get to him. And Landis God kind of did both in one. And he kind of knew it was a dumb penalty while he was doing it. I don't know what he was thinking. It was one of those plays where as soon as he did it, he put his head up in a way and looked around in the way where it's like, I know they're going to come after me and I understand why, so I need to cover for myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the the announcers on NBC sort of went off about how that was a bad call or that was a bad play by Landis Gog and it could possibly be a five-minute major. Then they watched it in real time and said, you know what, it's a fast game. That's how it happened. So it's a good call for it to be a two-minute minor. Either way, it's just not a penalty you want to take. As as the captain and as a very important part of this team and a guy that, let's face it, he played a great game yesterday. Um, you know, all that being considered, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're going to get suspended for one, two, or three games in the round robin and in the playoffs because 
these are very big games and they're very important games and and you know you don't want Landeskog to develop that reputation like Nazem Kadri did in Toronto where he's under that microscope because he's done it before yeah he's an intense player and he's just trying to go at playoff pace but you know there's a time where you got to realize what you're doing and he did halfway through you know he kind of let up on the hit therefore it wasn't too egregious but you got to know not to make that hit from the start and put your team in a bad spot especially when we know how this penalty kill is kind of struggling a little bit but moving on I wanted to get into the Matt Nieto scratch for Tyson Jost something we discussed a couple weeks ago that Tyson Jost was looking good in camp and might force the coach's hand to perhaps throw him in there and that seems like exactly what happened right so the part that impresses me about joe's playing his way into the lineup isn't the fact that he got a game it's the fact that uh he got the first game so the way that i saw it it was nieto's job to lose and by that notion and by that mindset and mentality in my opinion Jared Bednar should have or, or would have in my mind played the roster that he believes is his top roster on the first game and then on the second and third game give a Tyson Jost a shot maybe a Logan O'Connor Pavel Francouz is going to step into the lineup maybe you'll give a Kanaten or a Barbario a game just to get their feet wet but the fact that he went with Jost in the first game says to me that now I mean he said it today during the press conference on Monday they had a you know they had a day off today no practice uh, he was asked if he was going to make any lineup changes, and he was asked about the possibility of Nieto coming in next game, and he said, yes, that's a big possibility. So now for me, it looks like Tyson Jost is the guy, and now we're going to give Nieto a shot to earn it rather than the other way around. And that, to me, is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, There's also the fact that you take into account that Matt Nieto is an unrestricted free agent this summer. He's probably not going to be back. Tyson Jost is still a young player, a still a restricted free agent, and someone that the Avalanche still might want to keep around. And now that he's killing penalties, what can't he do that Nieto doesn't already bring to the lineup is the way that I see it. Mm-hmm. And with Bednar being from the Columbus Blue Jackets system, you know they hired him to kind of have that same mentality as John Tortorella, and I think good on him for keeping that mentality you earn it right you don't just get you don't just get in the game to get your feet wet you have to it show that you are capable of doing the job you're asked and so you know props to Tyson Jost for doing that and props to Jared Benar for sticking to that methodology yeah for sure so I mean I I I am impressed with Tyson Jost's game uh we said it last week I mean it's been a fun thing to do this season if that's what you want to call it you know let's make fun of Tyson Jost but the reality is from the deadline until the day of the pause on March 11 or March 12, whatever it was, he was playing great. He had six points, two goals. He was starting to kill penalties. He was an important part of the Avalanche lineup. And he came out for phase three, four months later, uh, basically kicking ass and proving that he still belongs. And he got the game and the Avalanche won. So that to me says that he is hungry. He knows that the expectations have been lowered for a player like him, but he's still going to bring that fire and that passion to fight his way back into the lineup. And, you know, that's always a great sign for a player like that. Speaking of earning your spot and proving yourself, Ryan Graves opens up the Avalanche scoring oh, uh, against the Blues. A little bit of a broken How great play, is that? But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I like is that I've seen a lot of the defense jumping in and being that F3. I mean, if they're the third guy into the zone, they're more than given the free reins to attack and have somebody else stay back. So I think that's not too crazy, not too wild of a philosophy, but I love the confidence that the Avalanche D are doing it with. Even you see Eric Johnson – 
skating as fast as he can into the zone while you know he struggles a little bit he's kind of losing some speed um he he's he's going for it and i love to see that from the avs d yeah and it's it's just the trust of of the five-man unit on the ice and that's what i love about it is that you can have not even the offensive guy i mean let's face it graves plays with makar Johnson plays with Gerard. If there's any defenseman that's going to be pinching and being the F3, the third man into the zone, you'd think it was one of those two little guys. But you got these two big bruising defensemen that are jumping into the play, making offensive plays, and it's because they have that trust, not only in Gerard and Makar, but in their centermen, in Kadri, in Comfort, in McKinnon, to, to come back in and play the you know the defensive spot while they're up there pinching. And it's it's a it's a system thing that the Avalanche always struggled with under coaches like Patrick Waugh and the glorious days of Joe Sacco. But under Jared Bednar, they're just doing an exceptional job of playing as a five man unit. And Bednar has kind of beat that drum the entire season. We are a five man unit. We're not three forwards and two defensemen. Right. It takes discipline. And again, another thing that I think Jared Bednar has really brought to the squad. Not that Patrick Waugh didn't. I mean, obviously he ruled with an iron <laughs> fist, but yeah. just Jared Bednar found a way to hold these guys more accountable, it seems. Um, along with that, you know, I wanted to get a little bit into Sam Gerrard's play. I mean, he was unfit to play leading up to the game, so we hadn't seen Sam Gerrard on the ice in a few days until that game. And uh, honestly, I think he kind of failed to be a threat. Do you think something is kind of lingering with him, or was it simply maybe just a, a bad game where he's kind of getting the rust off of him still? It could be a little bit of both. I mean, the opening round of the playoffs start in eight days, and it'll be next Tuesday, the 11th, and the Avalanche only play two games until then. So while you, you know, I'm not saying there was, because none of us know with the new rules this season, but if there was any ailing pains or bruises, uh, you know, usually we would say, let's keep him out of the lineup and wait till he's 100%. But because the Avalanche have two days off and then a game Wednesday and then two days off and then a game Saturday and then possibly another one, two or three days off before they start the first round of the playoffs, uh, I'm completely okay with them playing him yesterday, even if he had something, you know, that he was shaking off. Uh, in terms of his game, obviously, he wasn't really much of a factor, uh, and that could be one of many things. I don't know if he's hurt, but I wouldn't call it a cause for concern just yet. If we get closer to that third game and he's not in the lineup, that's when it gets a little bit more concerning. But considering the fact that he was still in the lineup, if there was anything that was ailing him, I don't think it was that big of a deal. And uh, maybe he just didn't play a great game like a lot of other players didn't. Yeah, just I'd love to see him be more of an offensive threat. It seems like when he gets the puck and he throws it on net, it doesn't really have much of a chance of getting in and, and doesn't really make the goalie work too hard. So Yeah, there was there there was a phase during the season sometime in January, February, where he had 11 assists in seven games or in eight games, and one of them was a four-assist game. Uh, that's what you want to see from a player like Gerard. He's never going to score a lot of goals, but he's the kind of defenseman that you can rely on, especially on that second power play unit. He's used as a player to dish the puck to the flanks rather than being somebody that puts it on target like Barry used to or like Makar does now. So he's the kind of player that you would expect to score three, four, five goals a year, but give you 30, 35, 37, 38 assists. And uh, that's what you want out of a player like that. So, you know, hopefully he does get his feet a little bit more warm and a little more wet and, you know, ready to go offensively for the first round of the playoffs. And then towards the end of the game there, we saw Jared Bednar kind of tinker the lines a little bit. What what do you make of that? Is there something we should read into with that or is it just simply experimentation? Again, it's still the first game. And for me, even if it is St. Louis, it's experimentation. 
I would say if it comes time for the third game, with the possibility of that third game, I believe against Dallas, with the possibility of that game being for the top seed, if you're experimenting with lines then, that means you're not confident going into the first round of the playoffs. But if the Avalanche have their line combinations and the players that are, are dressed for the game set in stone for that game on Saturday, the third of the round robin, that means they're ready to go. So I wouldn't necessarily read too much into it until we get to that third game. Have you been doing on your bets lately since the NHL started? Right in the unders has been a good bet. I've done that for a couple games. I don't think as much as you because you told me you've been doing that. Uh, Pittsburgh and Edmonton were a bit of a bummer in game one. Uh, but, you know, taking uh, Philadelphia was a good bet. Taking Tampa Bay was a good bet. So little wins, little losses, the usual. Positive. Same here. Little up, a little down. But that brings me to my next point. The long wait is finally over. Golf's first major of the year is this weekend. The golfers are heading to San Francisco to tee off and compete for the crown. And there's no way... There's no better way to join the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate golf's first major of the year, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions all weekend long. And all new users still get a sign-up bonus of $1,000. Every day of the tournament, DraftKings Sportsbook is boosting your profits by 30%. All you have to do is opt in and place a bet. Those are those odds boosts we were talking about last week. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, and even hole-by-hole live betting. As the football season is clear in our sights, DraftKings Sportsbook has also rolled out a season-long football pick'em pool with $2 million in prizes. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MHS when you sign up for a limited time. All new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Just enter the promo code MHS when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah, and while teams kind of start to figure themselves out, I've been a little bit nervous to pick just straight up winners. That's kind of why I've been riding those unders, especially since it was pointed out how frequently they were happening. So I think until some games and some players and teams get comfortable i'm gonna stick with you know props and other things like that but i wanted to talk about those odds boosts i hit mine last week remember Hmm. where i said you put down 20 to win 100 yep i had a buddy that i was talking to about that same odds boost he doesn't use DraftKings, and he was so sad that he couldn't (laughs) get a sweet odds boost like that so those are the fun parts about DraftKings. and honestly if it wasn't for that odds boost i'd probably have to re up my account so download DraftKings. it's amazing if you haven't already moving on it's time to look ahead at the game against dallas that'll be game two of the round robin for colorado as you kind of touched on dallas was three and zero against the avalanche this year does that worry you at all going into this game not at all this is a new season and uh it always will be a new season when it comes time for the playoffs and ultimately this year is even more unique because of the pause in the middle of it you got to remember last year the avalanche i believe were swept by both calgary and san jose 
in the regular season, and they ended up going seven and five in the playoffs. Obviously, beating Calgary in five and losing to the San Jose Sharks in a very oh so close game seven uh, seven game series. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Uh, but also at the same time, Dallas right now does have a three to one lead on Vegas. Almost made it four to one there. So it looks like that game might be the one for all the marbles. That's the game that the Avalanche need to win in order to control their own destiny. Because a loss there means they might give Dallas an opportunity to go two and zero, and then their destiny is not only in their hands; it's in the hands of Dallas needing to lose to a St. Louis. Dallas has been so up and down all year long, but they do yeah. have a decently strong team. What worries me, and I think I said this on the Friday podcast, but I'm going to say it again, is it depends on who's in goal. I mean, I think Ben Bishop is the type of guy that gives Avalanche fits. And when we saw with Jordan Bennington, when the Avalanche are facing a good goaltender, you know, top maybe eight, um, they they really have a hard time and they get snake bitten. And you saw that against Bennington, and we've seen that in the past against Bishop. Heck, we've even seen Anton Kidobin give the Avalanche a tough time. So it really depends on who's in goal and how they're playing. Um, obviously, I'd rather see Kudobin for the Avs' sake. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest key for the Avalanche is can they beat the goalie. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, the importance when you run into games like that is not necessarily who's in goal on the other side, but it's who's in goal behind you and how good they do. Because the Avalanche can go out and play Tampa Bay in an exciting high-scoring game. We've seen it the last three, four years. Those Avalanche lightning games are always lots of fun. There was one that was 7-6. This year was, I believe, 4-3. to three. And the Avalanche can match the opposition goal for goal. But when you have a game like yesterday where... It's a low-scoring game, and it's going to take a lot to beat the goalie on the other side. The good thing is about the Avalanche this year, and Bednar said it in his post-game yesterday, it's, or his post-game on Sunday, I should say, it's, he said, we can go with anyone this year, and if we didn't believe that, we shouldn't be here, and here being obviously in the round robin and fighting for an opportunity at the first seed. So the reason why that's important is because if you have a Grubauer behind you who's playing the way he played yesterday, that gives you the confidence in knowing we can squeak out one goal. It's just one goal. One goal will tie this game and will give us a chance to you know fight for a tiebreaker, be it in overtime, a shootout, or for Kadri's sake, with one-tenth of a second left on the clock. So I'd say when you get into those games, you need your goaltender to keep it at one because it's going to be hard to put three past Bennington. It's going to be hard to put three past Bishop. So you need to make sure on your side, you're keeping the goals against down to zero or one to give you an opportunity. It's just frustrating to see because the Avalanche are so offensively strong and have so many weapons. You would think that they'd be lighting up the lamp and going four or five, no matter who's in net. You got, I want to see some more from Miko Rantanen. I, I know he's gotten a handful of assists here and there, but I think he can get more involved and be more dangerous I agree. with his shot. So, I agree. Um, anybody you have in mind, aside from Miko Rantanen, that you'd like to see step up and shine in this game against Dallas? Well, just from that first game, I'd say the, the wingers in the top six, minus Landeskog, were, were not all too relevant. So that's Miko Rantanen along with Andre Burakovsky and Valeria Nichushkin. So... I'd like to see more from them. McKinnon had a good game. He had good shots and chances. Kadri, even before his goal, was looking well. And Landeskog was all up in everybody's grill the entire night. Uh, for good, for bad and for good, obviously, with that penalty he took. But I would just say that the wingers in the top six need to step it up a bit. And, uh, you know, that's where the goal scoring is going to come from. It's that top six. I'm with you. Along with Miko Rantanen, I want to see more from. I w- I'd like to see more from Andre Burakovsky as well. You know, I pumped his tires about how much I love him playing on that McKinnon line all year long while well, he's getting his shot and hasn't really made himself too seen. So 
ready to see more from him. And I think Vladimir Meskov has had better games in an avalanche sweater than he showed against St. Louis. So if those three guys can get going, um, you know, this team's going to be as dangerous as we're expecting, and we shouldn't we shouldn't have to see a, a 2-1 game, you know, keep, make Grubauer stop, keep the team to one goal. So that's just my take. I think the offense has more to, to show than they have. They absolutely do, but, you know, to play the opposite end of that, I love the fact that the Avalanche, you know, you want to be the team that plays your style and make the team play your style of game. But it's not always going to happen. Sometimes you're going to get caught in a game against the Islanders or yesterday against the Blues where you're playing their type of hockey. You want to be able to win those games. When the Islanders sucked the life out of the Avalanche, they beat the Avalanche one nothing, and Varley shut out his former team earlier this season. The game yesterday was a game where the Avalanche were sucked into this game style that necessarily isn't their top uh, style of play, but they still managed to squeak out a victory. And that's the difference this year compared to past years is that the Avalanche are in every single game. I mean, even going back to the Patrick Waugh years, even going back to Joe Sacco, every time the Avalanche played the Blackhawks, and that was the team to beat because they were winning so many Stanley Cups at the time and making the playoffs every year, they always played the Blackhawks good. They always scored a lot of goals and Varley always shut them down. And that was because Chicago controlled the style of play and Colorado style matched up with Chicago. Whenever they would play teams that played a defensive style, uh, aka the Kings or the Ducks or whatever it may be, they were always beat. They were defeated every time. You can't go to California without expecting the Avalanche to lose two of three, possibly three of three games. So I like that about the team this year. They are in every single game no matter the style of play, no matter the team they're playing against. And that speaks volumes to not only their depth, but their coaching and their discipline. I just think if you look at the first 15 minutes of that game against the Blues and the last eight minutes or so, the Avalanche imposed their will. They flipped a switch and were really just the stronger team and were getting a lot of pucks to net and dangerous ones too. I just think if they could somehow put that together for a whole 60, we're we're seeing a a Stanley Cup-bound team. Um, but, you know, still got some kinks to work out, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Bednar mentioned it in his post-game press conference yesterday. He said there was a few players that he'd like to see do better. He didn't want to name who, but, you know, I'd imagine it probably was those top six wingers minus Landeskog. I'd imagine it probably was Pierre-Edward Bellamar who had a couple of bad giveaways in the third period. So when you, and, and, you know, despite all of that, Nemesnikov, Comfort, Donskoy didn't really have much going on offensively, but despite all that, they defeated the defending Stanley Cup champs and the best team in the Western Conference. And that says a lot about this team. So I I completely agree. If the Avalanche play their type of game, there's really no stopping them. Not in the Western Conference, at least. The Avalanche can beat any one of these teams on any given night if they play their game. And we'll be back Wednesday night just to follow up that game and, and hit you with a little bit sooner of a recap. But moving on, I just want to look around the NHL and kind of just ask you simply, what are you noticing with this strange tournament that's going on is there anything that you're liking disliking about the way games are run i love it i I absolutely love it i tweeted it today that the nhl deserves a lot of credit because and i put the word normal around quotation marks but everything about the look and sound of a hockey game on tv right now feels very normal feels very very much like it does in in, in regular circumstances with 18,000 fans, uh, you know, at the Pepsi Center, for example. The only time that I notice it not feeling that way, there's two times. And, and the first one is a little funny. It's when 
let's say the Avalanche are rushing up the zone. I, I noticed this twice yesterday. The Avalanche are rushing up the zone and they go offside just by a smidge and it gets blown down. There was no, ah, oh, there was no audible, damn it. In the in in the crowd noise that they you know that they feed into these games and obviously when the Kadri goal was announced as a good goal you would expect the Pepsi Center to lose its mind and the crowd noise that they had did not do that. Other than that, everything about the on ice product looks and feels like normal hockey. Everything about the fact that they are that they are playing in empty arenas and there's this virus going on look and feel normal because they even announced today they've done over seven thousand tests zero positive since everybody appeared in the bubble uh seven and eight days ago so everything about this feels normal you know maybe the players feel different bedner said on their days off it feels a little weird because they don't have much to do but he said on game days the routine feels very normal and as an outsider watching the game from afar it feels very normal to me as well i have one complaint and it shouldn't be that big of an issue but it bothers the hell out of me and that's the goal horn for the visiting team Quote, yeah, unquote, visiting team. Then. So yeah, I had a discussion about this yesterday, and and the only thing that I could think of, and it's for good measure, it's the fact that because it's an empty arena, you don't want ab- absolute silence after a goal. So as much as they're gonna keep this and make it sound like it's you know like for example, yesterday the Avalanche were the quote home team. They had the dilly dilly for the power play. They had the Mario mushroom when the avalanche killed a penalty. Everything about it sounded like a Pepsi Center game, except the one thing that they made uh, that 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 they're that, that they were willing to let loose is the fact that when the away team scores, they're going to play their goal horn just to not have that absolute silence. And I get that it's a weird thing, but I think that was the reasoning behind it. I think mentally, like especially in Chicago's case, you hear that goal song. It pumps you up a bit. It gets you fired up mm-hmm. and kind of shifts momentum. When you're supposed to be the road team, you're not supposed to be getting momentum shifted your way. So yeah. that's the main reason I think about it. But other than that, I think the players are loving the bubble. It's got to be nice for them to go out to dinner and not be bothered by any fans. I mean, I know Avalanche players don't have that problem too much, but for Canadian guys in Edmonton, you know, probably get recognized a lot more often than they would in Colorado. So I'm sure the players are loving it. it they might be sad to have to leave. They're probably just having a blast together, hanging out, just like the old junior days. Yeah, and uh, I want to I want to make two points about that. For starters, uh, going back to the in-game experience, I love the NHL sense of humor. They still have the announcer put up the attendance, and it's today's attendance zero. Thank you for watching from home, and I absolutely love that they put that graphic up on the jumbotron. And the second thing is, as weird as this may sound, and I know I may be getting ahead of myself because it's only been one week of tests, but There was a lot of talk about the safety concerns of bringing the players into this bubble and contracting the virus. With the way things are going, if I'm a player at this point, I feel safer in the bubble than I do in my home community. And I kind of feel like, hey, for the next three months, I'm away from this bubble. I'm away from giving it to my family or them giving it to me. I feel safer doing this for two, three months than I would have staying at home for two, three months. And that's just kind of a weird, uh, you know, interesting take because... These bubbles are working so well, and I say these bubbles because the NHL has two, the NBA has one, and all of them are working really well. Yeah, I was thinking yesterday about how sad it would be from a player's standpoint. You know, you got your clothes all over your hotel room, a sock hanging from the TV, and all of a sudden you're eliminated and have to pack up and leave the bubble and go home. That's just going to be a sad feeling for any team that gets eliminated no matter what point. It's like, oh, this, this whole bubble experience is done. 
and for the Rangers, they could be home in the next 48 hours because they're down 2 nothing. So, like, it could be that quick. Obviously, the Avalanche have at least a week guaranteed with the round robin before they start the playoffs. But, yeah, it's it's a unique situation, and it's just it's working so well. And knock on wood, hopefully it stays that way. Yep, and uh, wrapping up the show here, we're, of course, giving you a shorter show because we're bringing multiple we're going to be hitting you after every single avalanche game so as we do every episode here goes the three stars of the week mile high sports three stars of the week brought to you by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app <laughs> star number three that goes to whoever gets credit for taking that picture of nazim kadri scoring that game winning goal i loved it because you see the face on ryan o'reilly you see the face on gabe landeskog yeah you see the elation on kadri's face and then you can see in the background there's the scoreboard and the clock and you just see the everything just an going. excellent photo just perfectly placed camera uh i love that look on landeskog's face of like oh my god is it in and the look on o'reilly's face of oh my god it's in and, and then the look, the look on kadri's face that it's in the holy crap it's in yeah like he had that like half smirk half smile and there's that follow-up picture that the avalanche posted where he's hugging up against the post with his mouth just ah, and his eyes are wide open he's just elated and it's you know that's that emotion that you want to see and i don't know if you saw this part uh but the avalanche posted a video from ice level that they're that their video guy, whoever their media person Peter, that they took. Peter Aragon. I went to middle school with him. Oh, nice. So that video Shout of Peter out. Aragon at the glass shooting that video. And uh, the cool thing about it is Kadri scores. And then you see McKinnon skating toward Kadri. And he does like this gallop with his skates <laughs> like a kid does when he's running towards like a birthday cake. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> So the excitement and the elation in McKinnon and in, and in uh, Kadri was – it was just awesome to see, and that photo was just excellent. Yeah, Pulitzer worthy. I remember there, it reminds me of a picture that I love of Michael Jordan in his college days where he's taking a jump shot to win a game in the, I think it's the Final Four against Georgetown. You see Patrick Ewing there. You see a couple other NBAers. You see the scoreboard exactly in the back. what you're talking about. Just tells Perfect. you a story in one yep. image, right? I saw, you know, that, that picture was captivating. It definitely blew up Twitter. I'm not sure who gets credit for that. Was it just the video rolling out of the that little net cam, or is somebody actually there snapping pictures? I don't know. I'm curious. I feel like it may have been an inside the net camera. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Yeah, Wh- whoever was in charge of that, good on ya. Yep, absolutely. And that brings us to star number two. This one's an easy one, and that's Nazem Kadri for obvious reasons. He's just been tearing it up, and not to mention, <laughs> what a you know, he he uh, he's been all over the place. I mean, he's been criticizing the NHL for their lack of support for the BLM movement and the Hockey Diversity Club. He's scoring goals, getting in fights, just being the Nazem Kadri that we hoped for, and he's just he's not doing. He's doing everything but get suspended, and that's all you want from Kadri at this time of the year. <laughs> and that brings us to star number one, and this goes to Matt Dumba. Of course, he's taken a lot of bravery and a lot of courage to do what he's done the last couple days. I'm sure it's no surprise to anybody out there what he's done, so I'm not going to break it down exactly, but I just think you know he deserves a lot of praise for, for you know the nuts it takes to, to do what he's doing. 
Yeah, so he came out and gave a excellent speech before the puck drop of the Edmonton-Chicago game, and it was from the heart. He didn't have it scripted. He jumbled over his words a little bit like anybody that's caught in the emotions of the moment would. And it was just, it was greatly said, it was greatly done. And there is that connection between the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance that we were talking about last week where they were in talks of doing something together and that's exactly what it was. Uh, it took a lot of bravery for him to do that. He knelt, he kneeled during the national anthem of that game being the Chicago Edmonton game and then for his game he had a hand uh, a fist raised during both national anthems um, and that sort of set the stage for what we saw earlier today Monday in the Dallas Vegas game when Ryan Reeves and his goaltender Robin Leonard were joined by Jason Dickinson and Tyler Sagan of the Dallas Stars. All four of them in their attire as starters kneeled during the national anthem. And that was just, you know, that bravery began with what Matt Dumba did last, you know, last game over the weekend. And it sort of set the stage for that. And it's just, it's an excellent thing to see. It's great to see Ryan Reeves as an African-American hockey player taking that stand. It's great to see Tyler Sagan, who was a part of pretty much every single big protest in Dallas, along with his former goaltender or former Stars goaltender, Marty Turco, this summer. He was part of pretty much every protest and he backed those words today with the action of doing what he did prior to a game. So... It all started with what with what Matt Dumbo was able to do, and hopefully we see more of it. And you know the continuous uh, progression of the NHL with this matter. Yeah, you can't help but feel proud for the first guys to take a knee during the anthem. I know it's tough in a, in a hockey culture where yep. you know deviating from the norm is extremely frowned upon. It also sucks though that it took the NHL this long, and we're kind of the last sport to really make some noise on that front but it as, as long as we got there and we got there with the right intentions and that's what i'm feeling these last few days you know finally i feel like they're doing it with the right intentions in mind and i hope i don't have to come back and and change those words in the future absolutely that being said i think that's a good place to stop here for our wrap up of the blues and Avs game and the look ahead at dallas again we'll be with you on wednesday to recap that dallas game and of course look ahead at vegas golden knights who are still currently as we record losing 3-1 to dallas so we'll see how that plays out other than that anything you want to say before i wrap this up that's it from me we are sponsored by DraftKings sportsbook the top rated sportsbook app in america absolutely other than that make sure to follow us on twitter like subscribe and comment on the podcast follow me at jj of the year follow arif at run right arif other than that hockey is for everyone and we out you